Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of the series Song of Songs, Advice on Love from Solomon. As we walk through the Song of Songs, we will not only learn the sacred value God has for marriage, but also gain a transforming understanding of God's love for us. Turning your Bibles to Song of Solomon chapter 4. Um, I am out of the NLT because that is what's in the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, grab that one out of the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, I believe it's page like 534. I think. I'm pretty sure. Sound right? Okay, cool. Um, We are closing out today the Song of Solomon. The challenge being we missed a week due to weather. And so I have to preach two sermons today. Yeah, don't say come on, because I will. Preaching two uh, kind of revised sermons, um, because the other two weeks of the sermon series were this. Uh, We talked about marriage the first week. And look, look how, this is a great crowd. This is probably one of the better COVID crowds we've had, okay? So either talking about sex really gets things going for the church, or... uh, I should preach on sex more. Look, look at this crowd. Y'all, y'all don't come out for anything else. <laughs> hey, no hoorahs back there, okay? Um, I just thought it was odd. It's an it's a observation I had, so I'm just going to point it out to you. Um, the other thing is uh, we, we learned that marriage is sacred to God. And that many of us treat marriage as not sacred, as almost transactional, um, not covenantal, but contractual. Like, okay, well, I said I would, and so here I am. I love being married. Doesn't that sound happy? Have you ever met people like that? Marriage is important to God. And sex is from God. And so we talked about intimacy last week, and y'all were the most awkward crowd I have ever preached to in all the years I've been preaching, just giggling and laughing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Some of you said sex for the first time in church yesterday, and some of you refused to say it. Some of you refused to say it, and I'll tell you why. Um. We, we edged into why intimacy is such a, a faux pas or taboo or not a great topic in church. And it is the reason that church and Christians have such a hard time with sexual um, sin, sexual impurity. The reason we have a problem with it is because we don't talk about it. We don't want to talk about pornography. We don't want to talk about what's going on in our mind and that you think nobody else sees what's going on in there, but the Lord sees. What happened when they picked David to be king? Samuel said, man may look on the exterior, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. And so what we uncovered last week was that um, all through here, there was intimacy, and we talked about different types of intimacy, 
Because there's more than one. And today we're sealing the deal on this sermon series by talking about sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. And the gospel on display. Let's read together first. I've got two texts I need to kind of work through. And then uh, the first one is chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So let's read this together. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The young man says, You are beautiful, my darling. Beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. You know what's being pictured here? It's the wedding. It's the wedding. So we had a courtship, which y'all don't know what that is. It's, they were dating, okay? Um, but dating with intention, that's what courtship is. It's dating with the intention to marry. The reason a lot of our uh, singles and young adults uh, have an issue with commitment is because you have a, a, a misunderstanding of what courtship is and that we should be in relationship with each other with purpose, I've seen a lot of hurt in men and women from people just dating with no intention. Behind your veil. So there was a courtship. Now we're at the wedding. And we'll see glimpses here. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats. <laughs> oh, boy. Winding down the slopes of Gilead. Praise his name. Your teeth are white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. I feel like I need to read this in a voice. I don't know why. I feel like I need to like deepen my voice and read this. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon, your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts are like two fawns, two twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, go into verse 7 here, I will Hurry to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. You think this guy's into her? I'd say so. Let's skip over to chapter 5. Skip over to chapter 5, verses, and we're going to start here in verse 10, okay? Now, this is the young woman speaking to him. My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like garden spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies perfumed with myrrh. Continue here in 14. His arms are like rounded bars of gold set with um, barrel. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. Does that sound pretty? It is. His legs are like 
marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately, like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. Such, O women of Jerusalem, is my lover and my friend. What do we see in these two texts? Lots of imagery, right? Uh, lots of, uh, we've, we've learned more pickup lines in the last three weeks than you will ever re- pick up in church, okay? Next time you want to be sweet to your wife, okay, just flip on over to the uh, Song of Solomon chapter four and just tell her, baby, your hair falls like waves, like a flock of goats. That'll give the that that will get the love candle burning. Like a flock of goats. Who is this guy, you know? He must be good looking cuz if I said that, I would have never gotten married. I'd still be single. Um there there's something we see here in this back and forth, in this relationship between the two when they're talking to each other. And do you want to know what it is? It's mutual sacrifice. Mutual sacrifice. Mutual servanthood. Selflessness. That is the definition of every one of these engagements they have with one another. A selflessness. A complete focus on the other person. Uh, they reveal love and desire these individuals have for each other. Um, and in our society today, what I can tell you is, oftentimes marriage becomes two people instead of one people. It becomes selfish instead of selfless. And you know why? A lot of folks, and, and I see this in premarital counseling, uh, counseling they get together and they get married because of how the other one makes them feel. And it starts this engagement with one another where it is about what they do for me. Okay? And I'll tell you that your relationships will fail if that continues to be the case. And you will find, hey, married folks, people in relationships, when your selfishness rears its head, does it breed with it intimacy and love between the two of you? No. Why? Because God designed marriage to be mutually sacrificial. Self-sacrificial. Um, and we need to learn to serve each other. Inside and outside the bedroom. So last week we talked about intimacy and how intimacy isn't just in the bedroom, but it is in the bedroom. And then we also see intimacy outside the bedroom. We see it recreationally. We spend time together. We engage with each other intellectually. And sometimes, and I can be guilty of this. I can be guilty of this. So is it okay if I just air out my dirty laundry this morning? I know you love when I do. Um, 
I tend to think, this is, this is a bent, this is a, and I'll say sinful bent. The Bible calls them iniquities. This is a sinful bent that I have. I think that my thoughts and what I have going on is more important. And so what happens when I have conversations with my wife is that I'll, I'll, oftentimes I'll give, I'll lend ear, I'll lend her my ear, right? But really just so I can get that out of the way so I can share what's going on in my head. Or when it comes to opinions or having discussions, oftentimes I think mine is the most rational. Uh Uh-oh. I think mine's the most rational. And so obviously hers has no weight or validity because I'm the most rational. And I have been so wise as to say, well, it's just that time of the month. It'll be over soon. Anybody ever said that? I don't encourage you to. Or when she's pregnant, I'll say, oh, that's just the pregnancy talking. It's fine. Now, there are times my wife will say some things, and it's most obviously that she is pregnant. She will call me by different names. She will call our kids by different names. She will ask for me to cut up a cucumber instead of a piece of bologna. Uh, for our daughter. So it's, you know, I don't understand it. I've never been pregnant. Thank the Lord. Can I get an amen? All right. There are times on the other side where It just becomes self-serving. And how many times, look, look at your marriages. Look at the marriages around you today. Look at your relationships. And for those who are single, listen. If you meet with somebody who is just wanting to run through your conversation to tell you all about themselves, beware. Okay? Life and love and marriage and relationships look like mutually self-sacrificing. It's not about me. And, and what I have to allow the Holy Spirit to do is work in me to where I am so confident and so outward in, in being an expert in my wife's strengths, and she's an expert in my strengths, that the weaknesses begin to fade. Some of you have just been, you've become so good at pointing out the weaknesses in each other that you've forgotten that there's any good in there. And then we look at the Song of Solomon and all they can do is look at each other and see the beauty, see the love, and and be able to name it and put it into words. A lot of you, if I put y'all in a marriage counseling session, I ask you to say something nice about each other, you couldn't even formulate a sentence. (laughs) Uh, Don't don't look with your self-righteous eyes up here, okay? Don't bring it up here. We need to work on this. Serving one another is important in marriage. Um, And what I have found... Also, have you, how many of you have ever read the book, The Five Love Languages? Anybody? Okay. Um, wow. Okay, so not a lot of you. 
There are five love languages. The guy wrote a book. It's really good. It's helpful. Go to fivelovelanguages.com. You'll find out every, everything you need to know. The five love languages are this. This is what he writes in his book. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch. You see all of these in here. You see all of these in the Song of Solomon. Now listen, my, the way I love people, and this is the way I love my wife and my family, I am an acts of service lover. I will work, 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 and serve and jump up. My wife asked me 17 times an hour to get up and get something. Tell me I'm not lying. Tell me I'm not lying. Come up here. No, I'm just kidding. We're about to have some Matthew 18 discipline in here. Um, No, I'm just kidding. And I do it, and I do it gladly. Now, sometimes I'll roll my eyes because it's like number 16, 17, and I'm like, I am so tired. I've gotten you 38 bags of sour gummies at this point. Can you please let me sit? And so, okay, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> hang with me, hang with me. Because let, let me not let you miss the goal. The goal is that you leave here today and your marriage and relationships look more godly so that God is glorified. The reason that Christians get called on their bluff so much is because we don't live lives that are exemplary of God, and it looks like that in our marriages. And so people will come over and see the way we act with one another, and it's no different than the world, and so there's no pointing to Jesus. So why would they want anything to do with the Lord? Story. My wife calls me in from the kitchen. She's sitting on the couch. And she says, hey, can you go get my water cup? I think it was a water cup. Typically what it is. Can you get my water cup, put a little ice in it, fill it up with about 18 ounces of water. This is what it looks like in my house. You should come over and watch. And, and then put a blackberry lemonade thing in it. I'm an acts of service guy. So I said, yes, ma'am. I'm going to jump to it. Before I can turn all the way to go to the kitchen, my daughter looks up from her iPad and goes, hey, Daddy, can you, um, can you run in there and grab me some Cheetos too? Are you kidding me? She's learning. And then she looked right back down at her iPad like there was no other option for me but to get those Cheetos. I might as well wear a butler hat around my house. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on. The way I love is different than the way my wife loves. And this is why this is important. My wife, her language is different she wants me to rub her back or hold her hand. She, she wants physical touch or, or even words of affirmation would be probably a second tier. She wants to be encouraged. I don't need any encouragement. But boy, I love it when I come home and dinner's on the table. Yeah, I love that. I know my wife loves me. 
when I have a fresh whole drawer of underwear and it's clean. What? This is real talk, okay? I'm not going to throw a line out at you. That's how I receive love too. So acts of service anyway. Stop trying to love your spouse in a way they don't receive. I have often and am still working at, I think if I serve my wife well enough, she'll feel loved. And that's just not always the case. Let me give you 10 marital nevers and then I'm going to move to the opposite side of this, okay? 10 marital nevers. I found this from a guy named Tommy Nelson. 10 marital nevers, okay? This is for singles. This is for people in relationships. This is for you married folks. 10 marital nevers. Never respond to your partner brashly. Never respond to them brashly. Never touch your partner out of temper or frustration ever. That may sound obvious to some of you, but there may be some today and may even be some in this room that they have lived in a house or been in a relationship with someone who is physically abusive. Never seek to shame your spouse in public, in public, or in private, really, but definitely not in public. Number four, never fight in front of your kids. Some of you, as I'm reading these, you can picture your, your, your parents. Anybody? Just me? I can literally picture my parents failing at this. I can literally picture myself failing at this. Never mention your spouse's parents or other family members. Hear me. Be easy on the in-laws. Now, now listen closely to this one. Never dig up the past. Try and stay on topic. And I could tie scripture to all these. I could say how the Lord forgets your sinfulness and sees the righteousness of Christ, but we want to remember everything that our spouse has done wrong to us. Forget about it, forgive them, and move on. Never try to win. I tell my wife often, do you want to be married? Do you want to be right? Because you can't have both. Never yell. Use derogatory comments or verbally, verbally defame your spouse. Now, there are some in this crowd that that's going to sound bizarre, but there's going to be some who grew up falling to sleep to your parents yelling at each other. Okay? I've been in a student ministry. A girl brings her boyfriend from school, and I literally watch that young man in the parking lot raise his voice at that young lady. You got to pay attention to this stuff. Number nine, never withhold physical intimacy or use sex to manipulate. This can also go with other things. Kids, I've seen it. I've seen it all. Number 10. This is the most important. Never 
put off seeking resolution. Many of us today have the marriages we have or the hurdles we have in our marriage because we never want to deal with anything. You want to just put it off or just go to bed. That's me. Look, after about 10 o'clock, I'm good for nothing and especially a marital discussion. After 10 o'clock, I'm ready for bed. And so I have turned, and and I've had to ask my wife for forgiveness on multiple occasions because after 10 o'clock, I just turned into like a jerk. I'm just like, okay, whatever. Can I go to bed now? Because I'm tired. Never put off resolution. Never put off resolution. Now, two more scriptures, and then we're going to close. I wanted to talk about self-sacrificing and serving your spouse well first, and then this is the second half. This is what I was supposed to talk about today, and I'm going to do this quickly. Um, Go with me to Song of Solomon chapter 8. Song of Solomon chapter 8. And we're going to read 6 and 7 here. Um, 8 is the last chapter of Song of Solomon. And all throughout here, what we've seen is glimpses of their conversations and glimpses into their marriage. But I wanted to point out, um, we're going to be here and then we're going to jump to Ephesians. Song of Solomon chapter 8, 6 and 7 says, Place me like a seal over your heart. This is the young woman talking. Like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. You know what this is saying here? Right love cannot be bought, purchased, or or captured. But once you have it, once you've experienced that type of love, the love that we see here in Song of Solomon that should be prevalent in our marriages and relationships... Waters can't quench it. Rivers can't drown it. It cannot be put out. If I could tell you every time, turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read this quote. Uh, This is from Tim Keller. He wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with with the Wisdom of God. He said this, So what do you need to make marriage work? Anybody asking that question? Here's what you need to know. You need to know the secret, the gospel, and how it gives you both the power and pattern for your marriage. On one hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. It will drive you further into reliance on it. On the other hand... 
a greater understanding of the gospel will help you experience deeper and deeper union with each other as the years go by. Marriage is the major vehicle, hear this, for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out and your life from the ground up. The reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at the same time. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. I can give you lots of examples where I've screwed up. I can give you lots of examples where Kirsten screwed up. But as I look back over the last eight years, here's what I can tell you. She has, it is her presence in my life that has made me pursue a more godly version of myself than any other person. Any other person I've had in my life. And that's what marriage is meant to do. That's what our relationships are meant to do. If you can't look at your marriage and look at your relationship and see how they are driving you towards reliance on Christ and reliance on God, then what's the point? Because let me tell you something. Happiness is fleeting. Anybody realize that yet? Anybody realize that happiness is fleeting? My wife has loved me and cared for me despite me. And what that does is it points me to a Christ who loves me despite me. Why are we talking about Song of Solomon? Why are we talking about marriage? Why are we talking about relationships? Because God designed all this to work towards a pointing of us towards him. Marriage is meant to be a shadow of his love and care for you. The gospel on display. Let me read you a statistic. I saw this on Barna. Um, So let me preface this by saying, because marriage and relationships are reflectors and point people somewhere. They're either going to point people to, toward God or away. That is why the devil, Satan, is after the destruction of your marriage and your relationships. God, God is for the fulfillment of it. Satan is for the destruction He is like a lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour, he is actively trying to destroy your relationships, especially the godly ones. Listen to this. It's from um, Barna. There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. 
the researcher indicated. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last, but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There is also evidence that many young people are moving towards embracing the idea of serial marriage in which a person gets married two or three times seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. That's from their new marriage and divorce statistics released. The devil's after your marriage. The and you have to recognize that. I, I tell you what, if, if there's one thing in my marriage I, I wish I defaulted to more often is this. I wish I defaulted more often to when things start getting really high pressure, intense, and tough. I wish I defaulted to the thought that this is the devil attacking my marriage and not my wife attacking me. I wish I had, I had, and I pray, and I get better at it, and then I get worse at it, and get better at it, and get worse at it, and I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying. And I'm better today than I was. But I'll tell you, some of you think your partner is the, the, the enemy. I dare you, I dare you the next time you get in a marital dispute to stop and say, neither one of us are the enemy. And the enemy would want our marriage to go down. So can we pray together? Can we seek the Lord together? Can we go after the enemy together instead of letting him have his reward in our marriage? I hope when people look at me and Kirsten's marriage, I hope that they don't say, wow, they have a great marriage. You know, Carl has a great marriage because he found the right wife. Or that Carl has a great marriage because, she, or Kirsten has a great marriage because she found the right husband. But I hope that people look at our marriage, people on the outside, people who don't know Jesus, and they say this. They have a great marriage because they chose Jesus. That is the goal. That is the end game. Not that me and Kirsten have some, write some book about how awesome our marriage is and that people look at me and Kirsten and say, wow, what great people they are. But that they would look at us and say, oh, what a great God they serve. We cannot read through the Song of Solomon. And I wish we had more time to spend in the book. Um, it's a little different than Revelation. I, when we talk about the apocalyptic literature of Revelation and all the imagery that was there, there, there was a lot of deep diving we could have done. Here, this, is, this isn't as deep, but it is just as meaningful. Ephesians 5, let me read this to you. Ephesians 5 in the bank and come back. Look at that. Two sermons. Look at that. Starting in verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5 says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. 
He is the Savior of his body and the church. And the church submits to Christ. You see, you see what's being painted here? We went right from marriage into this is the relationship Christ has with the church. Follow me. So you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means loves your, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. You see this back and forth? And we are members of his body. 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illumination of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let me read you a story as they begin to play. In 1859, the great Presbyterian preacher James Henley Thornwell had the opportunity to announce the wedding of his daughter, Nancy. In the weeks leading up to this event, hundreds, the hundreds traveling would end up at a funeral and not a wedding as she took ill from typhoid and began a rapid demise. Thornwell, overcome, came to his daughter's bedside in her waning moments and said, Oh, my dear daughter, such tragedy. She replied, Father, do not weep. I know my Savior. He said, but this was supposed to be your wedding, your whole life now before you. She, the youth, even with greater maturity, said, Father, but now I go to a greater groom that I am prepared to, to meet. Nancy Witherspoon Thornwell was laid to rest in a wedding gown. And the tombstone reads, as a bride prepared for her groom. Pastor, what's your heart here behind this preaching? It's been weird. It's been uncomfortable at times. I'm not sure what to make of it. And I'll, I'll just simply say this as, as we get ready to close. We need to take a look at our marriages. I'm not, don't, don't think, oh, he's not talking to me, but I know someone who needs to hear this. Don't be that person. Don't be that person that's like, I'm gonna need to send this podcast to somebody to listen to. No, you need to listen to it. 
You need to hear the word of the Lord weighed on your heart for your marriage and your relationships. Don't shuck this off as someone else's responsibility. This word was for you. And today, one thing that I pray, and I, that has been my prayer for weeks, is that we would leave this place and our marriages and relationships would be so reflective and so pointed towards God that others would come to know Him because of the way I'm married because of the way I do relationships. That even in my failings and in my screw-ups, my wife loves me, and even in her failings and screw-ups, I love her, and all I can then point to is saying, hey, you think this is cool, you should meet Jesus. You think you should meet Jesus. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.